Hello and welcome to the Many Rules of Film Club. This is Jeff Yance. I'm the program director at the Loft Cinema, joined by my cinematic cohorts, occasional filmmaker Heather Lades. Hi, Jeff. And multimedia artist Rusty Boulay Stevenson. I'm worried about Agent Cooper. <laughs> I'm worried he's become Bob. <laughs> There's a fish in the percolator. <laughs> we could go on all day, that and maybe funny. we will. That is a funny part, I will say. So we are very excited today because we're all anticipating the return of Twin Peaks to television at long last after 25 years, 27 yeah. years, actually. Long time. Um, from, yeah, originally on ABC television in 1990. Now it's coming back to Showtime in May, and we're very excited. So we're going to revisit the dark, disturbing, weird, infuriating to Heather world of David Lynch. True story. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so full disclosure, one of my favorite filmmakers. So Absolutely. This, yeah, mine too. So this will be an interesting discussion. Uh, so let's start with Twin Peaks because that's the big news. I think the world is really kind of going Twin Peaks crazy right now. Like it's yeah. everywhere. The anticipation is very high. Uh, we don't know if it's going to live up to expectations, but I'm purposely trying to not read about it, find out what I don't want spoilers. Mm. Yeah. I want to go in, I want to try to recapture that feeling that I had when I first saw Twin Peaks when I had no idea what yeah. I was watching. And if you think back, that was so great. Now, did both of you watch Twin Peaks when it was first on? television oh i did i watched it with okay. my mom every week I, I did not okay I did not you discovered it later i discovered it okay. later the very first film or anything of david lynch's i watched was actually firewalk with me i watched it on vhs uh-huh right um it okay. was really bizarre to me it was so bizarre in fact but so important i felt like um that i rewound it and watched it again immediately and started mm. taking notes and trying yeah. to figure it out yeah it's uh it's hard to think back on how kind of seismic that show was on network television in 1990. And I remember watching it, you know, with uh, my family, and you had literally never seen anything like it. And it was on the network that gave us Roseanne and Home Improvement. And so it was really kind of a shock. And I remember, I think it was the third episode when you meet the little man in the <laughs> red room. <laughs> And he started dancing and talking backwards. And I remember literally falling off the couch because I was so stunned. Yeah. I had never seen anything like that, much less on network television. Yeah. Sure. Had we had DVRs then, I would have been like rewinding and like, what the hell? Yeah. I was like looking at my mom like, what's going on? I don't understand. Yeah. Yeah. And that was so great because it was so fresh Mm. and new. And I distinctly remember everyone at, you know, school was talking about it. Like Mm -hmm. everyone was into this and you had to wait a whole week. You couldn't right. binge watch. You had there to delay no your gratification, watching. and there was a mystery involved. Yeah. And it was just a really exciting experience to mm-hmm. have at that time, I think. Well, and you're not going to—there's nothing else like this on TV at the time, be it storyline, art direction, shooting, editing. All of it was completely different from anything you're going to see on network TV. Like, it's crazy yeah. that that was even— I mean, the new revamp is going to be on Showtime, and so that can have some more freedom. But just just having that whole idea on a network television show is crazy. And it was very cinematic. It yes. felt different from television in that sense. It felt like a movie, but a, yeah. a weird movie. 
every episode felt like a film when I go back and watch them. I, I didn't watch them again when they were when they were playing. I watched them on VHS. But each episode, even now, you can watch it on Netflix, and they there are especially the Lynch directed episodes. They feel like a film. Yes, yeah. very mm-hmm. cinematic. You yes. can see his his signature camera style is mm-hmm. there throughout. Yeah, it's weird editing. His weird editing, his ability to take everyday common occurrences and make them feel surreal. Yeah. And terrifying. And terrifying. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In ways that you didn't, you, you couldn't really even perceive why it was frightening. It just felt unsettling. And I think a lot of that is to do with the music and the sound design. Oh, yeah. Music for sure. Yeah. Kind of a master manipulator of music, I think, and heightened emotions that music can create in a viewer. Yeah. Well, and sound design, like you're saying, though, too, he's he's always got all these industrial sounds. Yes. Um, and that adds a sense of ominous presence of mm-hmm. sorts, those noises and mm-hmm. clunks. and Right. And if you remember, the opening credits of Twin Peaks were so beautiful and serene, and there was that lovely uh, Angela Badalamente music. Mm-hmm. It's like water. a trick. It's a <laughs> trick. It was, it was the greatest trick that has been perpetuated on the TV yeah. going public. Uh, because then immediately in that first episode... You were confronted with this horrible murder of Laura Palmer. The mm-hmm. mystery unfolded. So certainly now I think it has changed the landscape of television. I think most long-form television, if it's a weird show, it owes some debt to Twin Peaks. True Detective, like True Detective. hands down, yes. owes that stuff to yes. Twin mm-hmm. Peaks, of course. Lots of the HBO shows, I feel like Six Feet Under, um, would do some mm-hmm. really offbeat um Weeds would have weird stuff going yes. on in the background yeah. and would have weird dialogue that would be funny or almost surreal feeling. I, I, I just think, I don't think there's anything it hasn't touched. Yeah, even like the weird um, moments in The Sopranos where they have like, uh, just like those moments, like the geese moments. Yeah. Or like, yeah, those are very felt Twin Peaks-like yeah. to me. Even the famous ending of The Sopranos, which everyone claimed right. was such a shocker and so unique. Like, Well, that... That could have been a Twin Peaks right. moment very easily. Yeah, oh, yeah. Agreed. But it was in a different context, so right. it seemed very weird on that show. Uh, but I think any show or movie about a small town where there's dark secrets now yeah, is for sure Twin yeah. Peaks. That's Yeah, and the idea that, you know, what's pretty on the outside is ugly on ugly the inside. On the inside ugly, is, ugly. Is definitely something that Twin Peaks helped yeah, yeah. perpetuate. I think I've watched the series four times all the way through now. Wow. And each time... I'm blown away by how advanced it was for television. Um, episode, I think it's episode, episode three, where he's had the dream and he's like, okay, get the chalkboard ready. Give me some rocks and set up that milk bottle. Yes. Right? Like, that is such a cool freaking scene. Dale Cooper became my hero in those <laughs> moments. Um, and so, I, but it was so offbeat and so weird. I think television has caught up to that now. Um, yeah. I haven't felt that until I recently watched for the fourth time through. And I'm like, oh, that doesn't feel as weird as it used to feel to me. Mm. It doesn't feel as offbeat. By the time, though, you get to season two of Twin Peaks and you get to the murder of um, Maddie, Maddie, that is still hard, hard to watch. Yes. And it's mind-blowing that it was on television. Yes, and completely unexpected. Oh, my god! You did gosh. not see that coming? Mm. No, you didn't yeah. think Maddie was going to die. No, no. I, I don't think so. Um, and when Leland Palmer, as he's really in, 
embodied by Bob now, mm. is chasing her, and his movements are so weird and strange. And then when he, he punches her at one point, mm. that is absolutely terrifying and stops you in your tracks still. And I've watched it four times through now, yep. and that episode still, it, I don't believe it was ever on TV. It's hard for me. I didn't ever see it on TV. Mm-hmm. It's hard for me to believe that it was on TV, even though I know it was. I mean, yeah. Leland Palmer character gives me the creeps like no matter what I can't I mean Mm. I knew from the beginning what it was I mean I knew that he was the one doing this to Laura Mm. well Bob him whatever I still think it was him (laughs) like regardless of Bob but I he no matter what forever he is the creepy dude from Twin Peaks for me I mean maybe he should have gotten an award for that but it creeps me out no matter what and when he does those weird movements it creeps me out I can't handle it and I think it's it's key to the success of the show and making that character not completely horrible was the casting of Ray Wise, who just seemed mm-hmm. like such a happy, sort of charismatic right. person. He dances and sings. Right. He dances to and deal sings. deal with his grief. Right. He dances and sings to deal with his grief. And I think the slow reveal that that's who was the killer uh-huh. it makes it all the more horrifying because it was such a, a likable actor playing that part. Um, yes. Which is really, I think, a key to the success of the show was the casting also. Right. Uh, casting is phenomenal. It's really amazing. I mean, and I can't really imagine any of the other actors playing those roles. So who's our favorites? I'm just curious. Well, Audrey Horn yes. is, uh, like we've talked about, I, Which she one takes... Which she? She's Sherilyn played, Penn. Yeah. Oh, that's her character? Okay. She takes sexiness to a whole other level. When she's... Attempting, even though she's in high school, she attempts to seduce Dale Cooper. You oh, wonder how he could have the resolve to right. to, to not give in. Yeah, I mean, I was always yeah. like, Dale Cooper, you are still a man, and here is Sherilyn Fenn, who is amazing and lovely. And how yeah. can you say no? Yeah, and you can tell that David Lynch really liked her look, kind of her yeah. throwback 1950s That's Elizabeth right. Taylor look, the way he filmed her. In the very flattering, yeah, very flattering close-ups and the kind of fetishizing shots of her feet in the um, saddle shoes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Those uh, saddle shoes are awesome. <laughs> very sexy. Uh, yes, very. And I think the direction of the of her character made her sexy because she was such a mystery. We didn't know what her story was. Was she a good girl? Was she a bad girl? And then it became clear right. that she was a nice girl. A nice girl. But yeah. early on, it seemed like maybe she was a little sinister. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. You didn't know what her intentions were. We had no idea. When she wanted to, you know, seduce Agent Cooper. So even though, right. like, it would have kind of been cool, it was, it was, <laughs> it was he, cool. could, he had to maintain Agent yeah. Cooperness. And, That's right. You know, but how can you say no to Sherilyn Fenn? I don't know. I don't know. Big fan of Sherilyn Fenn. Yeah, me too. I also really loved uh, the Nadine character. Oh, yes. sure. I just, I don't know. And it, she and the log lady to me sort of epitomized the weird vibe of the show. The log lady's crazy. Yeah. So they both had sort of an overt uh, marker of their weirdness, whether it was the eye patch on mm-hmm. Nadine or yeah. the log that the log lady had. Um, they also provided a lot of the humor. The humor. Yes. yes. The levity that was needed for Twin Peaks to yes. hang in there for TV. Yeah, because it was a dark show. Yeah. I mean, I had it not have those moments of levity, I don't think I, people would have followed it as much. No. I mean, even though Agent Cooper, I mean, he's kind of like the straight guy, mm-hmm. but he need, they needed those funny moments here and there to like 
keep people going. Oh yeah, you needed Lucy and Andy yeah. and the donuts and like yeah. you needed all of that because otherwise it would just been completely soul crushingly depressing. Yeah. Horrible. Well, and it's interesting because those are moments of levity, but like Nadine, that's a really sad It's sad yeah. story. Right. When you when you break down the story and look at how yeah. she and Big Ed got together and mm-hmm. stayed together and that he right. really was in love with someone else, it's all really sad. Mm-hmm. Um, but they they're able to play it for laughs with the silent drape runners and yeah cotton balls cotton balls <laughs> oh my god I forgot about the cotton balls, balls. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot about the cotton balls yeah. oh wow it's yeah. so good it's so good <laughs> obviously that's why yeah. we're talking about it but yeah but yeah I, I love the Nadine character I love Big Ed you know who I, I like too is uh, Bobby's father. Major Briggs. Major Briggs, yeah, 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 thanks. He's a really neat character Mm -hmm. that borders on what Agent Cooper is, too, right? Mm -hmm. He works for the government. Right. He seems to have this secret knowledge. He's very straight. Super straight, super duper smart. Yes. Um, Next level smart, in fact. Uh, The way he talks to his son is really brilliantly done. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the script is so great when he's talking to Bobby. I, yeah. I love those moments. Yeah. So I like Major Briggs a lot, too. Mm-hmm. Well, you get how, why Bobby is who Bobby is when yes. you meet his dad. Yeah. 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 And then when the UFOs show up in season two and his connection to that, it just sort of, it opened it up into a whole new realm that I think the new series might explore. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We'll find out. I, I think, I mean, my favorite, favorite character would be Agent Cooper. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. But I mean, Sherilyn Fenn is like a hard next, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, I love watching Kyle McLaughlin on screen anytime for the most part. So not just because he's attractive, but he's just got presence and like he plays that role so well. He's so good, and I feel like in a weird way he was sort of underrated. Yeah. Because he was in every episode, and he was sort of the heart of the whole right. show. If you didn't have him, it wouldn't have. Been it would not. Piece. It would not work without no. him. No, no. And clearly he is David Lynch. He's playing David Lynch. Yes. Yeah. That's show, what I, the I, attitude of David Lynch. Everything that I see about David Lynch tells me that that's, that's correct. Um, Special Agent Dale Cooper is super clean cut and says stuff. That's Dennis Hopper always kind of makes fun of David Lynch. He's like, oh, he says super keen and peachy and yeah. things well, like his that. His voice like, lends <laughs> it to that as well. It really yeah. does. Yeah. And, so, and they also look alike. Kyle yeah, McLaughlin mm-hmm. and and David Lynch look similar. Mm-hmm. They look like former Eagle Scouts. Yeah, they have the same <laughs> yeah. features. Yeah. Which yeah, Lynch yeah, was. Yeah. Yeah. Lynch was an Eagle Scout. Yeah, indeed. yeah. yeah. Um, so the show obviously drew a lot from David Lynch's previous films. I think it was sort of a culmination of a lot of things he had been working on mm-hmm. up to that point, and then his films after that sort of expanded upon it. So I wonder if we talk a little bit about his cinema and kind of how it relates to Twin Peaks. We should probably start with Fire Walk With Me just because that was part of the Twin Peaks mm-hmm. package. Uh, I love Fire Walk With Me. Uh, it was kind of a disappointment to a lot of people. It came out after the show had already been canceled. I think people were not thrilled with the fact that it was a prequel and there were new mysteries that were sort of created in the movie. And that it was really, really, really dark. And it eradicated all of the humor of the show. Yeah, there's no there's no funny moment in No. It's all dark. I, I think it has to be, right? It's it's juxtaposed to we we don't know about really who Laura was. We you start piecing it together as you're watching the Twin Peaks episodes. 
but you you don't have that concrete sense of oh she was a prostitute who was in high school yeah oh she worked at one eye jacks well you piece it together uh, through other characters talking it was like other people's perception of her yeah and we never saw yeah. her which is what i think Firewalk with me did they gave her a voice mm-hmm. uh-huh. and just if you haven't seen the film it's the prequel of what led up to her murder yeah, and... who was Laura Palmer because you don't she? ever get to really see her okay. she's the afterthought she's the you just see the remnants of what was after Laura Palmer into the Twin Peaks TV show right so the prequel which I mean I like the TV show in retrospect I think there was a little too much like I didn't get it till I was older that you know it's really about this young girl who was victimized and her life messed up and yeah. then how all this community is messed up. Everyone's messed up on some yeah. level. They were all complicit. Right. And yeah. and with Firewalk with me, I appreciate at least they get to get to know her more. You see where she mm-hmm. got, how she ended up where she ended up. So I do appreciate that. I still, I needed some of that levity that the TV show had. Yeah. I mean, I'm not a fan of Firewalk with me. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad yeah. that I watched it. Yeah. I'm just, you know, uh, yeah, it was hard to watch for me, but yeah. I mean, I guess everyone should be hard to watch for everyone. But yeah, I like that because it humanized her and it also gave her some redemption. The end of the film, she meets the angel right. and sort of takes her That's into true. a better place. And and I don't think we're I don't think we're spoiling anything about who the murderer was in right. Twin Peaks here at this point. But it was her father. Right. Yeah. If you don't know that by now. Yeah, and so there's a certain obviously an incest angle going on, which I think was not made explicit until visually explicit until Firewalk with me. And exactly. You, and you saw it happening. I think it was very disturbing to people because they didn't register that on the show. And even though they say uh, Agent Cooper's uh, um, friend who comes in and does the forensics, I, I forget his name right now, um, but but he says, newsflash, the lady had a cocaine problem. Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Even though they say that in the TV show, yeah. you don't see it. Right. Right. You don't see that cocaine is so prevalent on the TV show as you see it. You don't realize that prostitution plays such an important role in the TV show mm-hmm. as you do when you you see the what Laura actually went through. And that's right. you know, that's when when they're burying Laura when Bobby's like, "You want to know who killed Laura? You all did." And that's what yeah. I that's what Twin Peaks is so brilliant is yeah. is showing that a, a community can can let somebody who's so important to the community, everything moved through her. Right. Um, everybody had connections to her and they all saw there was a problem and everybody was just out for right. their own. Right. And right. not looking out for Laura. And that's why well, there's the line, uh, it's when Leland's in prison in in season two and they're like, you know, maybe that's what Bob is. It's the evil that men do. And mm-hmm. that's that's what Twin Peaks is showing you is the evil that men do. Like everybody mm-hmm. was complicit. Yep in not recognizing what was going on and being a part of it. Well, even her, I mean, Donna let her down. I mean, it's yeah. even her best friend let her down. Right. And so everyone let her down. I mean, yeah. so, I mean, I guess Humanity. I do appreciate Firewalk with me because it gives her that voice and you get to see that, um, that, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. I, I, I think Firewalk with me, is a film that that we haven't quite come to grips with yet, honestly. I um, agree. I think our feelings about it were so complicated by the show. Yeah, for most people. Yes. Not for me. Because it, it was, was a different like, experience, but you wanted the same ex- – I think a lot of people wanted the same experience, yeah. which they didn't get. It, But it's not necessarily a standalone film either. 
No, no, and that's probably why I watched it the second yeah. time right away is because yeah. I didn't completely. You can't completely understand that. Well, film. right, if you haven't seen any of the Twin Peaks, right, and you watch Fire Walk with Me, I think you're going to be a little lost. A little, a little bit confused. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of stuff in it too. I, I mean, I was really interested in what was going on with David Bowie, and that um, never gets explained. Right. No. That never gets explained, and uh, who is it that's the other agent? Who, Chris Isaac. Yeah, Chris, Chris Isaac. Isaac. Yeah. Whatever happened to him? Is in he yeah, just disappears. He disappears under the trailer. We I know with that that's, stupid ring. Yeah, <laughs> stupid. All ring. of that stuff, and that had yeah. nothing to do with. But that had me just fascinated. That had me fascinated yeah. watching the film for the first. <laughs> but time. I never. I mean, I feel like I appreciate movies that make me think and like want to find out the mystery. But with David Lynch, it's like I feel like it's always a futile effort. <laughs> like there's no point. It is in my brain going there, so I'm just not even going to try anymore because he pisses me right. off so much. Right. You're never going to figure. Right. You're never going to get to the center of right. that labyrinth. Uh, yeah, I no. mean, I guess uh, to some degree, Tin Peaks is going to get you as close as you're going to get to ever like a mm-hmm. story having concrete lines of flow, you know, uh, endpoints and character mm-hmm. things, but you're still going to be left up in the air with like Chris Isaac's character and he's never going to wrap it all up for you. And I'm fine with no. that, but it just gets annoying sometimes when there's so much of it. Well, and that was famously a problem with the show that ABC executives forced Mark Frost and David Lynch to wrap up the murder and said, you have to reveal the killer because audiences are getting very upset. We're losing viewers because of that. So that's why they came up with the Leland Palmer is the murderer much earlier than they wanted to. How, yeah. they, well, how long did he want it to last? Because for God's sake. He has said that he never wanted to solve the murder. Yeah, that's what David but Lynch But we says. all knew it was him. I mean, how did you not know? <laughs> I knew as a 14-year-old watching it that yeah. her dad was a perv and that he was freaky and he probably killed her. Like, so I just don't understand that, like, l- like letting that go for so long, what's the point? But I feel like that could be that could be the point that everyone was capable of murdering her. Yeah. And that that could have been explored had the show sure. gone on and on. Like, everyone had a legitimate reason I can see that. in their own mind. That's a good point. Everyone yeah. was definitely capable. And that town was messed up enough to... Well, and that's that's yeah. the whole thing. I think he says that's a MacGuffin. Laura's, Laura's killer is a MacGuffin of sorts because what, what the show's really about is about the town. You Twin can't Peaks have a MacGuffin the... on TV. I'm sorry. Well, I'm, I think it's a hard time. I'm just saying that's what he says. I think it's a hard time. And... Well, that's what he found out, that you can't. Oh, he's yeah, such a... Yeah, oh, it makes me so to. mad. Yeah. You can't have a MacGuffin on TV. I'm sorry. It's the same thing if you've ever watched The Killing, which is a brilliant television show. Mm. They had... You, you didn't get to find out who the killer was to the end of season two, and I was so pissed off because I was like, I'm, at deep, I'm deep in this. So you just can't have a MacGuffin on a TV show. Right. I'm sorry. Yeah. Unless you're like going to do an HBO thing and you have eight episodes, that's fine. But it's just too mm. much. I can't. He's so, ah. <laughs> oh, it makes me so mad. See? To think that he could get away yeah. with a MacGuffin on TV is ridiculous. But don't you kind of love the fact that he tried? That he sure, was trying, I give him credit to, for trying, trying to change it. He was trying to change oh, TV God. big in big ways. Oh. And he, he did. did. And I he did he do did it. For yeah. sure. It did happen. Yeah. He totally did. I give him that credit. Yeah. And I just think that was such that was such a great pop culture moment that America was embracing of this very weird thing they had True. never experienced before, and they were riding along with it up to a point. Well, yeah, America, people are not going to go with you too far. I mean, no. they're going to fight back. He pushed it too far, up. I think, yeah. for people's taste. Um, yeah, I mean, it was really hard to watch. You know, the thing about the TV show, though, too, is they really screwed with it. I mean, at one point they had it on Saturday nights. Yeah, they did mess up. That was scheduling. a terrible night for it. Yes, right. that was a David Lynch in a really great interview with David Letterman is like, you know, people who like Twin Peaks, they're party people. 
And so, <laughs> right, right. so, so they're ho- not home on Saturday nights to watch. Yeah. Um, and then I loved, uh, there's a, there's a line on Wikipedia that's really interesting. That's like, you know, executives determined that the same people who like cheers would like twin peaks. <laughs> I was oh. like, Oh, sure. <laughs> so they didn't want to put them against each other. Right. Because, so they didn't want it on Thursday nights, but having it on Saturday night was terrible. And of course you were going to lose viewership oh. for it. Oh, of course. I mean, and that's yeah. why now, thank God, we're in the 21st century and we can watch stuff whenever we want. I don't have yeah, to. Right. I mean, that's sure, right. you still have to wait for them to release it in whatever platform they're going to. But, right. I mean, thank the Lord we don't have to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think about Twin Peaks being released now, I don't think it would have the impact that it had then. Agreed. If it was if it was a new program today, just because there's so much content out there. Yeah. Everyone was forced to watch one of the networks back right. then. You Pretty had, much, yeah. You, you had four options, ABC, yep. CBS, NBC, mm-hmm. Fox. Yeah. And so that made everyone watch the show and talk about it and yep. develop an interest. And now it's so fragmented. I just don't, I don't think it would connect the same way. No, I don't think so. So I think it, timing was everything. Yeah, yeah we'll it was. see how it goes. We'll I mean, see how it goes yeah. with It's this. still going to be a weekly thing with Showtime. They're not going to dump That's all right. the episodes. So That's right. People are going to have to wait. Yeah. I, I think it's going to be a huge hit, though, and well, obviously dying to know. There are so many people, and that's it. Twin Peaks was probably one of the sh- first shows I did binge watch because I didn't watch it until it was out on VHS, yeah. Yeah. and yeah. so I would just watch one. I mean, I was a junkie. Yeah, <laughs> I was ready to watch it and watch yeah. it and watch it. I hated I didn't it when watch it TV ended. Shows on VHS ever. Oh man, I don't even know how many times I Unless watched Twin Peaks f- all yeah. the way through, just dozens probably. Yeah. Oh wow. Oh yeah. It's my go-to always. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I get it. My it scares my wife. My wife can't yeah. even look at Bob. Well, it freaks me out. And yeah. honestly, like last night, I fast-forwarded a little bit through some of. I <laughs> yeah. just can't. Like seriously, I'm over like people victimized <laughs> like oh, that. Yeah, I yeah. just can't. Yeah. It's yeah. hard. Yeah, and clearly in the second season, you saw that Lynch himself was losing a little interest in the show, and he did leave. Clearly, after the murder was yeah. resolved and we knew for sure it was Leland Palmer and he's locked up and right. now dead. It's still interesting, but the tone changes. Tone changes and it becomes more of a regular TV show that's just a little offbeat. Right. A little bit weird. Right. With a bunch of weirdos in a small town. Yeah. Yeah. And he was off making Wild at Heart, which came out while the show was still on the air. And that was kind of the peak saturation David Lynch moment. That's probably When true. Wild at Heart was out and Twin Peaks was on TV and... Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage was huge, and he was on the cover of Time Magazine. Like, the king of weird comes to America. Mm-hmm. Um, it was just an interesting moment. It really time, was. For sure. It was a really interesting yes. time. Yeah. I, I kind of was oblivious to it, but when I look back, it's it's an amazing thing that David Lynch was on TV and that yeah. millions of people were watching yeah. David Lynch. I That's mean, pretty freaking cool. I watched mm-hmm. Wild at Heart incredibly way too young, but I watched it because of Twin Peaks. Oh, you yeah. know, oh, I, I, I would never have watched Wild at Heart had I not seen Twin Peaks. I mean, I mean, yeah. I was I would write my notebook back then and say, like, the movies I need to watch. And, uh, yeah. Like, oh, David Lynch makes movies. Oh, crap. I need to go find his movies. And so there was Wild at Heart. And Wild at Heart kind of just cranked up the weirdness of Twin oh, Peaks my, to like the nth degree. And there were Twin Peaks stars in it. Yeah. Sherilyn Finn pops up yeah. and Shirley mm-hmm. is in it. It's traumatized. See, that's the thing yeah. I don't like about David Lynch. I feel like he traumatizes viewers on purpose sometimes. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. not sometimes. But like, not, he does it on yeah. purpose. But like, I feel like there's definitely points when that serves the purpose of a story, but sometimes he just wants to do it to fuck with you, and mm. because he can, because he's a director, and that's where I mm. think that that gets me. <laughs> that that's what gets you. Yeah. 
I can see that. And that was a lot of the criticism of Wild at Heart is that it was weird for weird sake. Yes. Um, and I can I can see that. I mean, if, if he was if he was actually reading the press about he was the king of weird. Right. But if he was feeding maybe into he that, felt the maybe, pressure to be weirder and weirder. I don't know. Yeah. Because after that, he went in the different direction mm-hmm. with straight story, which I love. I will say like I'm glad that you guys suggested I do straight story. <laughs> it was the most normal thing ever. Yeah, something you might like. And it still wasn't normal, but it was still uh and that's not even to say I like normal. I I like offbeat things. So that's the thing is like David Lynch makes me upset because he, I usually like offbeat things. I like experimental things, but he makes me hate them because of what he does. But anyways, oh, no. um, because of manipulation <laughs> oh, no. of the yeah. audience pisses me off. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Um, not ma- I mean, I will say not many filmmakers create this strong um, reaction in me. So I guess yeah, this is in one hand, he is yeah. pretty yeah. awesome yeah. in that way. Yeah. But he's such a bastard. Okay. Um, straight story about Alvin um, Straight, who decides he's going to go see his brother who falls ill. Um and he's going to go visit him over in Wisconsin. And he's in Iowa, I think. Mm. But here's the thing. He's fallen, like, multiple times. His health is degrading. Um, at one point at the beginning of the movie, he falls and he can't, he can't get out. Like, that's the typical old person, I mean, thing. Right. Mm. And his hips are bad. He can't walk that well. Doc- he's poor. Poor. Yeah. Mm. Doctor gives him two canes. He can't drive, and he doesn't trust other people driving, which is a, a very stubborn old man. Mm. But it's played by... um. Richard Farnsworth. Richard Farnsworth, yes. who I didn't realize it didn't click until I was looking at his filmography. He plays one of my favorite in my one of my favorite childhood, um, Anne of Green Gables. Um, oh. He I can't remember his yeah. character's name, but he and he's he was great in that. And I was like, oh, it, so it gave me like this warm feeling remembering that. <laughs> and yeah. here's this stubborn old man. His brother falls ill. He's like, I'm going to go see my brother. The only way I can go see him is to take this lawnmower mm-hmm. and ride it to Wisconsin, which is ridiculous. But he's so stubborn that he wants to do that. Yeah. When and, it's what really happened. Right. It's and it's a right, yeah. true story. Yeah. Um, but I shake my fist at the stubborn old man because really this is ridiculous because he <laughs> totally died. Or like, you know, someone could have run him over. And anyways. Right. Um, but he, pl- his daughter's played by Sissy Spacek, and mm-hmm. who's great, always oh, great. She's, fantastic. she's great in everything yes. she does, but yep. great role. She plays uh, a woman who has some mental challenges, but she does it so well and understated, and she doesn't make a mockery of people who have those challenges. Mm-hmm. So I really appreciated that. And she stays home with her dad and lives with her dad. And he, and as the story goes, and as he's traveling to uh, Wisconsin, you hear about his life. And at first it was sort of like, he's so sad. Like his face is so sad and he's so dour and like, wow. I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, why is he so stubborn? And you know, it's annoying, but I get it. And he's such a negative look on life. But then as you tell his story, it's so, he's had very tragic story. His wife had 14 children and he, only seven of them survived. Um, He had a hard childhood living on a farm where many times they didn't eat. Um, and uh, various other things in his life. He was in World War II and ho- he had, I mean, what we would now call PTSD. And, you know, he drank too much when he came back. And all of these things in his life that happened um, that are so sad. And you get why he's sad. And, and at that point, you, all you want to do is help him get to his brother. Because the, the moments of happiness in the movie are when he talks about going outside and looking at the stars. 
Mm-hmm. And I will say that's a very beautiful visual in, that, in this movie is when, however he did that visual is of the stars and they're kind of vibrating mm-hmm. um, is beautiful. Um, so as he's traveling to Wisconsin, it's great. I mean, unnecessary, but very Lynchian sweeping landscape shots, like crane shots. I bet mm-hmm. at some point he had some aerial shots. Of, mm-hmm. like, the cornfields, the wheat fields. It's a beautiful. I mean, you guys tell me he grew up in the Midwest, so yeah. I think it's probably his minor homage to where he grew up and mm-hmm. the, be- the beauty. It is very beautiful. Um, soundtrack goes well with it, like some band, like not banjo, but like some guitar and some mm-hmm. country, not like honky tonk, but like some understated country. And, and you just see the people he meets along the way, which is very genuine and nice mm-hmm. because you can see that happening. You know, someone traveling and his stories with that the young girl hitchhiker who he meets yeah, I love and that scene. it's a yeah. great scene yeah. and yeah. it's really sweet it's just honest like as much as i feel like david lynch makes movies that are not like true to form in terms of real life this is the most honest he's ever going to get in terms of like representing people for who they are without throwing his curveball in there you know right but with the standard awkward lynchian things here and there there's like some weird scenes where encounters one woman who <laughs> consistently hits tears on her way to yes, and from work yeah it's so random and i and i don't know if that was a real true story part of the story but either way it's played very and then there's a scene with the plastic deers yeah. in the background you don't realize yeah. they're plastic like, until you realize they're not moving right and he's eating the deer that he yeah, that was the, dead that, that the lady killed the, yeah it's hilarious those are some pretty lynchian moments yeah, like yeah that, and the you know the shots like unnecessarily pan in like i'm like what mm. pan and tilt in no what are you doing but it's very you know that's kind of his thing so sissy spacex voice is strange too in it it feels like and i feel mm. like that feels lynchian as well yeah like yeah she's I mean, got I a strange dialect it's halting think, very yeah halting. it is yeah. it's halting yeah. well i think it was an obvious decision as to how can she portray this mentally talented daughter and not make a mockery of it mm. and i think that was probably part mm. of it because it was just her it was that thing of wanting to get all the words out but she can't and like it becomes it the stuttered way Right. Of uh, 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 and very like those kind of moments. To me, that's my impression of it. And the ultimate lynching moment is the brother that you're going to see turns out to be Harry Dean Stanton. Stanton, yes. Like, that's Which, a weird. It was scene. hilarious. Like, oh, like, yeah. It yeah. was hilarious <laughs> and weird, but tender at the odd. You, know, you don't really know what exactly yeah. what made their rift and why they haven't seen each other for ten years. But it was a very tender moment when they both are like there. He's hobbling with his two canes and Harry yeah. Dean Stanton's hobbling out of the house with his walker. And here's two guys that are old and falling apart. And they both get teary-eyed because they haven't seen each other in so long. But it's not really overly sentimental. They no. don't like hug each other no. or fall nope. into each no, other's no, no, arms. No, no, no. Yeah, none yeah. of that like yeah. Hollywood ending. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't think Lynch would have ever had that. And, no, it's still David <laughs> but, Lynch. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I, I really enjoyed this movie. It it's good from beginning to end. There's some hilarious moments where I mean, when he's getting his supplies for his trip and he he wants to buy the grabber from the guy at the hardware mm. store and he's like, come on, Al, that's my own. I like that grabber. It's a hilarious scene. I can't do it justice, <laughs> but I highly recommend Straight Story. Uh, it's rated it's, G. It's, it's I mean, a yeah. Disney movie. Yeah. It and, is a Disney movie and it's yeah. not that kind of, there's still enough like Lynch stuff in it that 
that makes it good and not yeah. like schmaltzy. Some beautiful shots. Beautiful. The That's cinematography beautiful. is great. And Richard Farnsworth is great. It was Richard nominated Farnsworth for the Oscar and he died right after right. the movie. Yeah, and yeah he, he had was, bone cancer. He was sick during the whole filming I mean, of the film. I mean, filming. every time he gets off that tractor, I'm like, it hurts. That you had to feel hurt. It. You know it's yeah. going to hurt. Yeah. So, anyways, highly recommend Straight Story. Even if you don't want to watch any Lynch movies, watch Straight Story. But I was trying to tell people when they say, oh, I don't want to watch that. It's like, well, that was the only way David Lynch could be subversive at that point was by making a G-rated Disney film about real human characters. Yeah, and that's the thing that was important is that this not a star vehicle. I mean, the the star is the biggest star would be Sissy Spacek, but Mm. she has a very quiet role for the most part. And just the everyday folks that he runs across on his trip. A great, like, it's just a great... However, he decided on those actors are great, and Richard Farns is great. They're, you believe them. I believe every moment of this, oh, yeah. even though it's oh, a little yeah. weird. Yeah. I believe every moment. Yeah. Again, that's that's David Lynch's type of surrealism, though, is it's based on reality. Mm-hmm. Almost always, he will take stuff that might seem on on the surface completely surreal, but it's based on reality. He sh- he shows us the surrealism of everyday life. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, the line, there's a fish in the percolator. Like, yeah, it, yeah that's bizarro. But at the same time, it's just a weird thing that happened. If it Life happened, it has... would be terrible. Your fish, your coffee would taste like fish. It would taste like fish. Yeah. It, it would <laughs> be horrible. But, but there are just so many things like that yeah. in all of Lynch yeah. where he takes the everyday and the mundane and makes it surreal somehow. And that's that's really impressive. I would I would say the other film like The Straight Story is The Elephant Man. Based on the life of John Merrick, who was an Englishman who, I don't know that we even now know what was wrong with him, right. um, but he was terribly deformed, not because his mother was trampled by an elephant, but but that's how the story goes. Um, and that right. movie is a fairly straightforward take. It's got the Lynch stuff. It's shot in black and white. Mm-hmm. Um, it starts with a dream. It ends with a dream. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got all the industrial sounds and stuff. And unlike the straight story, it it really is terrifying regularly. Um, just because I the music makes it terrifying. You you really feel for uh, Mr. Merrick. You you really mm. sympathize with him, and then he's just taken advantage of at every mm. turn. Um, the acting's great in it, though. the The sound design is great. The set design is great. Um, the I think the cast is really good. John Hurt, John Hurt is, is fantastic. John unbelievable yeah. as the elephant man. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I, I put those two films together as Lynch's yeah. most true. accessible work. I would agree with you. But what um, I love about Elephant Man among many things is that it's actually a great companion piece to Eraserhead. Yes. Which was his previous film, his first film. It shares a lot of the same traits, but it's just made a lot more accessible because there's a narrative. Uh but Eraser had kind of laid the groundwork for all the David Lynch movies, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, made very, in the 70s, over the course of several years, took a long time to get the money to do it. Um, I think famously said there are shots where Jack Nance as Eraserhead walk, opens a door, and then they didn't film him coming through the door till a year later. <laughs> so they had to be very careful to make sure he looked the same. Right. He had to keep that crazy hair for like six years. The perils of low Perils budget. of low budget filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And Sissy Spacek. Uh, production designer on Eraserhead and was one of the producers who raised money for the film. And yeah, they're longtime friends. Yeah, uh, but Eraserhead, I think, is my is one of my favorite films just in general. 
of all films. Just it really opened up my eyes to uh, nonlinear experimental filmmaking, mm-hmm. and it's really the film that I think most closely approximates a dream, mm-hmm. yeah, or a nightmare. I guess rather it would be a nightmare. Uh, in the way that surrealists, I think, have always strived to do, hmm. that there's not logic necessarily, right. but it, you feel it. You feel that something is happening, and it feels very personal. Um, I think it's the ultimate uh, Father's Day film, if you're looking for <laughs> a film to share with that. <laughs> well, I'm going to watch it. I have not watched it watch, since college, oh. but um, I don't know if my dad would like that. <laughs> I am yeah. not going to watch it with my dad. <laughs> nope. Yeah. So so Jack Nance has the, you know, his girlfriend has this child called Eraserhead. We don't know what the deal with the baby is. It's kind of a horrifying. It's a mistake. The baby's a mistake yeah. on many levels. And the girlfriend leaves. She can't handle this weird baby. And so Jack Nance has to take care of it, and it drives him insane. And lots of horrible things happen. Uh, but it's got this great kind of industrial, kind of grinding, smoky, black and white, grainy mm-hmm. vibe that I feel like is what I feel like when I'm having a nightmare. And that kind of pops up through all his films, uh, certainly in Elephant Man. In Elephant Man, right. yeah. Uh, and also, the very pers- it's very personal because his daughter Jennifer Lynch was born, I guess, with a c- club foot, and it required a lot of work mm-hmm. um, done on the foot. And he was very ambivalent about having a child at that point in his life, which is probably not easy for her to know that she right. inspired Eraserhead. I don't think anybody wants had, that. No. As their... Thanks, Dad. I, I think he and Jennifer have had a kind of a awkward relationship. I can only imagine. Yeah. And then she wrote the diary of Laura Palmer. Well, which, so she must click with him somehow. She clicks with them somehow. But then if you think about, oh, she's writing the diary of this incest victim, yeah, murdered, homecoming Disgusting. prom Freaks queen for her dad. Yeah. It's just, it's it's an odd relationship. That's yeah. odd. Yeah, that's not normal. That's, <laughs> yeah. There's but, nothing normal about but it. But Eraserhead's an amazing film, and it's not for everyone. And I've tried showing it to many people who just say, I just can't handle this. But if you get a chance to see it in a movie theater, that's the place to see it because the sound design was designed to cause discomfort. Yeah. Well, I'm going to try to watch it with my headphones. Watch so it with we'll your headphones. What, yeah. How it goes. Yeah. I love experimental. So if you can convince me that... <laughs> That Lynch does it really well and that yes. it will, I will like it. I will try it. I'll give it a whirl. And weird moments of levity. One of the funniest Thanksgiving scenes ever in a movie. Really? Okay. Yeah. No, yeah. that's right. Where they're eating the chickens and the legs start moving. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It, sound, it's, it plays funnier than as I describe it. But. Well, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll see it. <laughs> and it's surrealism at its best. It's amazing yeah. that that's kind of a first film. Uh, he had done some mm-hmm. short films before right. that that are also surreal. Right. Um, there's there's nothing about them that's not. Um, but yeah, when when he comes through with Eraserhead as his first film, mm-hmm. it, it's really a pretty remarkable feat for that to be your first feature film. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, and you, you know, my despite my negativity of David Lynch, I do want to say, like, after thinking about him for these few weeks, I think he's a master at creating a feeling and a scene, a moment. And maybe some of you might think a whole movie, maybe (laughs) not like me, but I really think he creates these moments that are so beautiful. I will say I'm not a fan of Mulholland Drive, but I did rewatch it. Mm -hmm. And the Silencio scene, I was, I remember being in awing me when I saw it in the theater when it came out. I, however, did not feel that way until I didn't feel like the amazing 
sense of emotion <laughs> until I watched mm. it recently again. Yeah. And how beautiful the blue light is and how just the idea that yeah. uh, what you see and hear me saying is not what's going on. Right. Which, I mean, I will say is br- pretty brilliant. I will say that. Um, but, I would hope so. But visually, it's so stunning. And her singing is so, like, got me right in my heart. Oh, it rips you apart. And you see Naomi Watts and, like, her, like, freaking out. Yeah. And you get it because you feel kind of similar in a way. And... I, I appreciate that scene. That is one of my favorite scenes ever, I will say, that in a, in a David Lynch movie. I will say that. He's amazing. Yeah, but, it's one of my favorite scenes of all yeah, time. Yeah. Just David Lynch or anyone. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, definitely. He does create the moments. I mean, certainly in Blue Velvet, right. there are many moments like that, yeah. I think. Maybe they have a different impact. I'm thinking of the the first time you see Frank Booth uh-huh. sucking the, 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 heat, yeah. the gas out of the tank. Yeah. And I remember when I first saw that, that that particular scene was so sort of damaging emotionally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was almost difficult to get back into the film because yeah. you realize at that point, that was like halfway through the film and you realize this is only half the halfway point. What else am I going to experience right. in this movie? And it was so, it made me so uneasy. Well, and it's totally undercut. Once Frank does that, it's totally undercut everything you've seen up to that point of yep. the small town feel mm-hmm. and... Even though the Kyle McLaughlin's a voyeur, um, you, it feels rather innocent most of the film. And then all at once, the underbelly is shown in a way you can't go back from that now. Exactly. Like it's this is it. This is the mark in the sand. You can't go back now from that. You've you've seen this. You've seen how just awful and traumatizing Frank is. And you, his character is so brilliant because you really real quickly get an insight into his psyche that it's it's kind of amazing that you get that in the course of just a few minutes that you as the viewer feel like you know a lot about where he came from yes really quickly mm-hmm. yeah um and that movie really set the, that set the template for David Lynch his whole worldview I think that you can't trust surfaces right yeah and that's if, right. if you look at every one of his films after that that's pretty much the theme that yeah. you can't trust what you see yeah I well, and that's particularly the case with Mulholland Drive. Yeah. What? I mean, uh, uh, <laughs> I can't even uh, explain how much uh, Mulholland Drive. I literally left the theater cursing him because I was like, are you kidding me? Really? This is how you're going to let me end? And as I got older and I saw it recently, I mean, I get more of the connections. I get more of the idea of, you know, but the tragedy of her character, I can't remember her name. Betty? Betty? Oh, Betty. Betty? Yeah. The tragedy of her character and then seeing this new version of her character. Right. And relive this new life and her not killing herself or did she kill herself or did she not? Mm-hmm. And these stupid old people coming out of the paper bag like, oh. oh, my God, the people coming out of the paper bag. I wanted to kill David Lynch for that. Like, serious. Yeah. I mean, I get it. But like, no, really? This is what you're giving me after I went through this two hours of trauma. This is mm-hmm. what you give me. Yeah. When I walked out, I... I saw it. It had been nominated for an Academy Award for Best Picture, mm-hmm. um, and it was playing at the theater here in Tucson. And my uh, my current my wife, we were dating at the time. That was the first movie we went to go see on a date together. <laughs> oh, oh God! It wasn't what? our first day. <laughs> okay, I was like, yeah. that's a horrible date movie. Yeah. But, but well, yeah, we've talked about this. In <laughs> fact, in yeah. great and awful date movies. Okay, <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, I I went and saw that. We went and saw it, and we walked out and. I know that when I walked out of it, I was like, really? 
really, that's a Best Picture nominee. But I also knew when I was saying that, that it was a movie I was going to think about for a long time. I stopped yes. thinking about it because it pissed me off because I was like, screw that. <laughs> I'm not thinking about yeah. this because I think sometimes he makes shit that you don't, you're never going to, you're never meant to understand. You're just going to, it's just going to frustrate you. The mm. guy in the alley that looks all dirty and disgusting is going to frustrate me for the rest well, of my life. Oh, and I keep on thinking about scene. him. That's oh. great art. That's great art. No. You don't know what the Mona Lisa is thinking. Well, I don't care. And you're never going to know. Yeah. You're That's yeah. always going to be a mystery. But that's I don't care. always going to be a mystery. I don't care. Um, and, and Mulholland Drive is always going to be a mystery and, to, to anybody who watches it. That's kind of the point. Yeah. 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 I just and think it, like, oh, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah. And the whole like lesbian erotica from his point of view is annoying to me. Like, seriously. Like I'm, I'm I get it. it was, you know, early 2000s. It, you're not going to, you know, it's about hot, rare enough to get an LGBT story. You're le- not going to get that right. as a Hollywood, you know, blockbuster kind of thing. So I don't know. I think he's tiresome. He's tiresome to me. I don't like I'm willing to work for you. I will work for you and get your story and what you're doing. If you give me some payoff, not all the time, but sometimes. I get zero payoff from David mm. Lynch, except for on the occasion a beautiful scene like Silencio. Yeah. Oh, I think it sticks with you. I think that that's part of why I, I love it so much. And I, what I really think, I've, I've watched a lot of interviews now with David Lynch, and one of the things that I really appreciate about him as a director is he really listens to what the actors are feeling and thinking, and he's ready to embrace whatever happens by happenstance, even though he's super measured in everything he does. I mean, he he works on set design. He works hand-in-hand with Angelo Badalamente and making the music. Everything is very precise with him. But at the same time, if you have a feeling as an actor that there should be something else to it, he's ready to go with that. And he's ready to pick up... I, I think the character of Bob, like, they didn't even have originally a an actor for Bob. Right. It was only somebody who was working on the set who ended up on camera an accidentally. Accident, yeah. And he embraced that accident. Yeah. David Lynch embraces the magic of life and realism and mm-hmm. puts that into his films in I, a way that nobody else does that I see working yeah. right now. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's totally skilled and talented and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I do. Well, I just don't. skilled and talented. I don't. That's I don't, having a... I just think he's too much sometimes. Well, I think he has a unique talent of lodging in the brain as a dream, and I think it, that has a lot to do with the fact that he's into transcendental meditation. Yep. Oh, which God. I had to listen yeah. to him talk about that. It was horrible. <laughs> well, kind of just the idea of tapping into the unconsciousness and embracing that and sort of creating out of that space where it doesn't necessarily make sense, but you can't stop thinking about it. Exactly. And you feel it. It's just a, it's a very different way of making films, I think, which I find very interesting. You just don't see it a lot. I agree. I think I, but I don't want to do that about stuff that's about incest. Mm. I don't want it, like, that's not my thing. It's not a, and I know, like, that's not the main thing, but that's heavily in Twin Peaks. And mm. uh, so, uh, so uh, yeah, it's just not something that I want to sit with. Like, yeah. I don't want to sit with that feeling. Well, he's also a fan of luridness, yeah. certainly. Like, that's, sure. he obviously likes horror yeah. and old Hollywood movies and kind of like trashy I pulp like that novels. Too. And, I, yeah. Just not in the same way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So it's, it's an interesting mix. Yeah. I, I think we will ultimately catch up with David Lynch in the same way that as a viewing audiences have caught up with Hitchcock. I think it's going to take time, 
But I, I think Blue Velvet is going to be considered one of the greatest American films oh, God, that's I hope been not. made. Mm. I feel that fairly certain that that's the case. I'm going to watch right, it again, but I hope not. <laughs> right now on the sight and sound list, it's down in the 20s or 30s. I think it's like 24 mm. or something. I I think in 30 years, it's going to be in the top 10. I, yeah. I, I really think when I look at that compared to Vertigo, I don't necessarily understand why people would consider Vertigo a superior Agreed. film to Blue Velvet. Agreed. I think Blue Velvet's a better film. Um, it's right. scarier. It's more disturbing. Um, it's prettier to look at. It just there's so much about it. Dennis Hopper's performance mm. is one for the ages. Mm. It's, I would agree with that. Yeah. I, he he told David Lynch when he when he read the part, he's like, I am that character, you know? Yeah. Um, and and it, it, he is. He embodies it. It's one of the great performances. And I think it changed American filmmaking in a really it did. important way. Like it really showed that you could have really challenging, off putting mm-hmm. material in a film and people would still go see it if you put it into a context of a mystery. Something, yeah, that, I mean, something they could relate to because that movie's a great mystery. That's what you're trying to yeah. solve. But there's all this horrible subtext. So we sort of snuck it in like yeah, a Trojan true. horse, I think. And and a pretty brilliant. I mean, Mulholland Drive is already rated as the best film of the 21st century. Which is ridiculous. By the BBC. No, it's, not. <laughs> it's totally ridiculous. It is but, so not yeah. one of the best of the 2000s. I don't know. There's so many more movies I, that are better storytelling than that. I, it's really great storytelling, and again, I think he's working ahead of us. I think he's. I don't agree. With that. I I I think Fire Walk with Me is working ahead of us too, as an yeah. audience. I think more directors are going to be watching David Lynch and making films in in that style in the future. Now they're doing it now, but I think it will be more so as as time passes and as we realize mm-hmm. how important we know David Lynch is important. We don't realize he's one of the greatest American directors that that there's been. Yes. And I, I think that we're going to recognize that. I think people, more people will recognize it as time passes. And I think especially because his output has slowed to the point. His last film was from 2006. Yeah, and he's Empire. in his 70s now. Yeah, so he's not making a lot of films just to keep making films. So I think the legacy will remain strong. Mm-hmm. That's um, true. He's not tarnishing himself. No, like so I think each film <laughs> is a vision. And the new Twin Peaks will be a vision, whatever yeah, that we'll is. See. We yep. don't know. I don't, you yeah. know, he just is what it is. I mean, yeah. I, I, I give him credit for being challenging mm. and for making people talk about his stuff. And Well, and uh, I give him credit. Everybody who works for him loves working for him. Sure. They say it's fun to work on his movies. Sure. He's making amazing art. I, there's almost nobody who gets shots the way he does. I, his shots, some of them are so darn pretty. And so amazing. I mean, and it doesn't have to be anything. It can be a lawnmower sitting in the grass, and he makes it gorgeous. You know, I, I mean, want to. I don't. But see, that's the thing. I don't want to watch a lawnmower in the grass <laughs> unless it's interesting. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? Yeah. Uh, and that comes because you know he he started out as a painter. He went to art school. That's right. Um, and he said, you know, I I was working on um like a garden at night was the name of the painting, and I mm-hmm. thought about the leaves moving in the dark. And I thought, ooh, a moving painting. And then that's what made him start thinking about making movies. Right. So he's coming at it from a different perspective. He is than from most people do. And that's where in Twin Peaks in the series, when uh, Special Agent Dale Cooper is about to try to unravel everything, you know, he's on his vision quest. And now they've come to that bar and all the people are together. He's like, I'm going to call this, you know, the magic theory or whatever. I really think that that's almost how David Lynch works is on magic theory. I, I mm-hmm. think that's how he makes his movies. Um, and I, I, again, we've talked about how Dale Cooper is a stand-in for Lynch. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really think that that's how Lynch approaches making his movies. And 
there's something very special about that that it takes a very special artist who can work that way, especially when it comes to making movies when you're working with so many different people, a cast and crew. Right. And so I think that that's part of what makes David Lynch so special as well. Well, yeah, so we're going to see how special he is when the new Twin Peaks <laughs> premieres on May 21st. I can't wait. I'm, I just I'm can't excited. wait for it. I'm yeah. excited. Yes, I'm going to trust his vision, whatever it is. Yep. Um, I just want to see Cheryl and Penn. Yes, she'll be back. Mm-hmm. So uh, thanks, Rusty and Heather. Oh, that thanks, was so much Jeff. fun. Yes, yeah. We'll all be watching the new Twin Peaks. So next time on The Many Rules of Film Club, we're going to be uh, celebrating the 40th anniversary of a pretty great year in cinema, 1977, which was also the year Eraserhead came out. Also the year Heather was born. Also the year Heather Lattice entered the world. <laughs> One of the greatest films ever, Heather Lattice. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so we're going to be looking at the films of 1977. And we'll just leave you hanging to find out what those are. Uh, but that brings me to rule number 777 of the Many Rules of Film Club, which is when selecting a year to celebrate, it is best to go to a galaxy far, far away. In this instance, 1977, the year of Star Wars. So with that, please check us out on iTunes and please check out the Many Rules of Film Club.com. Please rate us. Please contact us. Click them stars. Send please us kick us. Please think about us. Please dream about us. Oh, Uh, and then we'll see you next time on the many rules of film club. Thanks for listening. 